Welcome to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast, where you'll learn all the best tips, tricks, and practical techniques for building the confidence levels you've always wanted. With inspiring interviews, real-life examples, and game-changing insights, this podcast is for women who know that mastering the skill of confidence is one of the most important things they'll ever do. Hello, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Secrets of Confident Women. My name is Anastasia Adams, and together with my business partner, Jody, we run Rise Women, a business which is dedicated to helping women learn practical confidence-building techniques so they can increase their confidence and do all the amazing things they've always wanted to do in life. So I'm really excited about today's interview because I think it's one that can help so many women with some really, really valuable insights and practical techniques for a situation that we've all been in many, many times in our lives. Today, we'll be talking about how to nail your next interview with Michelle Rubenstein. Now, Michelle was referred to me by a mutual friend who I was speaking to about an interview that we wanted for the Secrets of Confident Women podcast. And I told this friend that we often work with women who are looking to get back into the workforce after a break in their career or who may be looking to move up the corporate ladder. I mean, in either instance, an interview will always be required. So we really, we just wanted to speak with a recruiter who could give us an inside scoop on confidence and what that looks like to a recruiter during an interview. Uh, and this friend, honestly, without missing a beat, she just went, I know exactly who you should talk to. You need to talk to Michelle. So Michelle has over 25 years of sales, marketing, recruitment and leadership expertise from prominent global and boutique recruitment firms. She is unwavering in her enthusiasm for helping clients to recruit the absolute best talent for their businesses and she thrives on driving her teams to exceed client expectations and create opportunities that allow talented candidates to reach their potential. Michelle is also focused on elevating the profile of women in leadership roles, so we know you are going to love her. She loves the juggle of corporate life and family life, which is a juggle that so many of us are familiar with. And if she's not busy supporting her clients, candidates or team, she can be found spending time with her family, walking her dogs, catching up with friends over a glass of bubbles or getting a healthy dose of retail therapy. She is also a board member for a not-for-profit organization, which means this woman can basically do just a bit about everything. <laughs> Today, I'm thrilled to have her with me. So Michelle Rubenstein, welcome to the Secrets of Confident Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to get this information out to our listeners today because I think it's on a topic that, yeah, look, all women at one point or another have had an interview um, and we've all, no matter how many times we've done it, we always, you know, tend to have those nerves right before and we lose that little bit of self-confidence that we need. So I think the insights that you're about to provide us with will help so many women. Um, yes. So to start with, tell us a bit about yourself and what inspired you to do the work that you do. Oh, look, I think that's, that's a great opening question, Anastasia. Um, I think for me, I've always been inspired by people that set themselves some goals, you know, and then have the courage to back themselves, yeah. um, put in the hard work to achieve them. Um, and I guess that's been ingrained in me from a really early age. Um, when I finished school, um, I knew I wanted to get into business and, and following, you know, an economics degree, I thought I'd found my calling in financial services, um, working in a variety of sales and marketing roles. Yeah. And while I really enjoyed that, I think it was sort of in my late 20s that one of my mentors suggested that I needed to do something that connected me more closely with people, um, but that was still very much business related as well. Um, you know, I loved that I loved my marketing career, but I, I really felt I needed to take that leap of faith and 
pretty much reinvent myself. And when I came into a very fortunate conversation with uh, with a recruiter at the time, um, who quite honestly identified my passion and tenacity, and and probably had a lot more confidence in my abilities than I did at the time. Isn't that always um, the way? Yeah, always, <laughs> always. Uh, it just kind of gave me the, the courage to, to really back myself and take that plunge into a brand new career. Um, I'll never forget that day coming home um, to meet to, to see my husband after, you know, interviewing and saying, guess what, um, you know, I, I'm backing myself. I'm going to cut my salary by two-thirds and, and reinvent myself as a recruiter. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would have it's taken gone. a bit of confidence to make that yeah. call. Daunting conversation, and you know, I was I was nervous as hell, but it was absolutely the right decision to to make. Um, and you know, let's face it, there's nothing like the possibility of, of not being able to put food on the table for yourself, your kids, or, or pay the mortgage. Um, you know, yeah. that really keep that perseverance and that hard work, um, you know, at the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. So what- um, I worked really hard to learn my market, learn from the amazing recruiters around me, uh, develop my sales skills, um, and really meet anyone that was, you know, happy to have a conversation with me. Um, and, you know, within 12 months or so, I, I found that I'd sort of really established myself as a as a credible person in my space. And, gee, it felt great. Um, yeah. Loved, I love being able to help businesses solve their problems, put candidates to work in, in career roles and see them develop. Um, and then after a couple of years of mastering that craft, um, I really felt that my love for recruitment needed to be extended into a leadership role um, right. so that I could get that legacy and impact on others around me. So again, um, there's a bit of a thread here, you know, common thread, but, you know, someone who had far more faith in my abilities at the time <laughs> gave me that to, to step up into a leadership role in recruitment. And, and since then, I've been blessed with, you know, leading, coaching, mentoring and developing recruiters in, in the industry, uh, many of whom I still kept in contact with today, whether in, you know, the same organisations or, or that have gone on to, you know, to develop great careers in, in other agencies. So, um, yeah, and that's what keeps me inspired to do the work I do. I love it. I love recruitment. I love the industry. I love the ability to make a difference in people's lives in a, in a very, very valuable way. Yeah, that that's um, it's a great journey, and and a really, it must have taken like a few leap of leaps of faith there, not just one, um, because it does take a lot to back yourself, especially when you've got, like you said, you you know you've got a family to take care of, and um, it, there is that that feeling of if you're not literally and metaphorically hungry for it, then it's harder to drive yourself towards that goal, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Wow, that's very exciting. And it sounds like you've come a really long way professionally and personally because that does something to your profession, obviously, but it also um, – there's huge personal development in making career changes like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm really grateful that I, I had the people surround, uh, surrounding me to give me that confidence and give me that boost. Yeah. Um, but also, um, you know, the support from my family to really take that leap of faith and, uh, yeah, haven't, haven't looked back at all. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. We talk about that all the time about surrounding yourself with the people who say you can because it's amazing what a harsh word from someone who means something to you can do to your self-confidence. That's Whereas right. if you've got really supportive people around you and people who are kind of playing the same game as you and people who, you know, they do set goals and they do go out to achieve them, they're the people that you want to be listening to. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful. Okay, so tell me, what does confidence or being a confident woman mean to you? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, look, I think confidence means many things to to many people, and and certainly for me, for the most part, it's about it's not about thinking that you're superior or that you know it all. Yeah. Um, so 
really want to set that straight. It's not about the sometimes perception that confidence is equated to arrogance. Um, For me, it really comes down to feeling good in your skin, um, having belief in your ability to succeed. Um, You know, it's about thinking positively about yourself. And and look, that's not easy all the time. Um, But above all, knowing that no matter what anyone says to you, you, you're never as good or as bad as people say you are. Yeah, Um, that's right. Including yourself, right? Because we are our own biggest critics. We're the own biggest critics and our own worst enemy. Um, So, yeah, it's about self-awareness, you know, that resilience and and, and having courage. Um, Putting those big old pants on every day and and just, you know, (laughs) positive self-talk I think goes, goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. All things that we um we talk about because it's primarily that negative voice in your head it can have such a huge impact. Right. And I think That's once you – I mean, we never really master it, right? It's always there. But once you become aware of it, like you said, self-awareness, once you're aware that it doesn't always talk the truth and sometimes it may be out to sabotage you, once you're across that and you have techniques to figure out how to manage that, it makes a world of difference. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So when are you the most confident version of yourself? Uh, for me, when am I most confident? Um, probably when I'm grounded in the present um, and, and when I've had a good night's sleep. I find sometimes, you know, I can get derailed when, uh, you know, perhaps not on my best form in terms of, you know, looking after myself from a, from a health and wellbeing perspective yeah. or focusing too much in the past or, or you know, ch- trying to chase, you know, the next thing, you know, um, in the future. But I think staying grounded in the present really helps. Um, I think, you know, it's flawed to think that everyone is confident all the time. Um, I'm sure that you're going to have those ups and downs, but it's about how do you get into that right frame of mind to feel your best and then be your best. Um, And that takes work and that takes discipline. So, you know, I I find I'm also confident when when I don't listen to those inner voices. You know, we were talking about that earlier on, but the negative thoughts can can do a lot to derail you um so it's about having techniques around you know when they do happen what how do you um how do you deal with them and how do you find a way to to close them or squash them um, as soon as possible so that you can be you know putting your energy into into things that are you know more positive and, and fruitful yeah and that are serving you and I think it comes down to what you said before confidence for everyone is a very different thing you know what makes me confident it might not necessarily be be what makes you confident yeah. um, but like you said if you have the right techniques to call on um, regardless of what they may be for me or for you uh, you have that kind of toolkit so you're always prepared right because when you're in the moment and something damages your confidence it's really hard to to kind of fluster around and find what you need at that time but if you're prepared for it and you know it's coming or you can see the signs or you know you know what your trigger is then yeah. having that toolkit of techniques to help you that you can always fall back on because you know they work, that's what will get you out of it and that that's creates right. that confidence. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So what is the most important thing that you've learned about confidence from being a recruiter specifically? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, recruitment's often referred to as an industry about champagne and razor blades. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, resilience really needs to be through the roof to be able to ride those ups and downs, you know, and I learned a hell of a lot during my career in recruitment about building that resilience, um, you know, and, and this too has helped my confidence, um, you know, not being, not taking things personally, trying to dust things off as, as, you know, as soon as you can, if things don't go as planned. Yeah. Um, and like you were saying, Anastasia, making sure you've got the toolkit or the, the people around you to, to, you know, to help you feel, you know, at, at your best at all times. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, it's important that, you know, 
it's not about being heartless to be confident, but it's also not about, you know, you can't wallow in the, in the negative stuff. It's not going to achieve anything other than take away from your future happiness and success um, and and your potential to have a positive impact on others. So I think recruitment a lot about that you know there will be ups and downs you've got to you know learn from learn from the downs learn from the ups try and get back to that equilibrium or balance as soon as possible um, and celebrate the wins along the way if there's things you can learn on the downside great um, celebrate the wins and, and just be kind to yourself because uh, you've got to make sure you're in a good headspace for yourself and others at all times yeah yeah definitely and I think um, when you say celebrate the wins all the way I think there's this um misconception around what wins are that we maybe need to reframe um, in our minds because sometimes what we perceive as failures may actually be wins because I, I know you know you might set out to do something and it may not work out the way you want but what you learn from that experience can become a win and yeah. it can become a success so this idea of the only way we can learn is to keep winning I think that there's something around that that we need to shift because I'm sure as with all industries in recruitment, you're often faced with failures. You know, Absolutely. You, you'll have your heart set on someone or a candidate or a particular project or something and then it falls apart and you go, well, I screwed that one up, didn't I? Yeah, um, that's right. But if right. you can learn from that failure, the same way that you learn from your wins, you know, you win and you go, all right, I did that right, I'm going to do it again next time. But when something doesn't go right, I think it's just as valuable, if not more so, to go, right, that went wrong. Why did it go wrong? How can I right. do it differently next time? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, sometimes those things that appear to be a failure actually aren't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do always do a lot of reflection with myself but also encourage my teams to do that. And, you know, you – you're not going to, um, you know, things aren't going to go right or how you anticipated, you know, most of the time. But yeah. if you can look at something and most importantly leave a positive impact on the people that you've been connected to through that process, then, then that's a win in itself. Um, you know, and we do a lot across, you know, the business I'm in now to really make sure that we do celebrate the wins um, and we celebrate, you know, the small wins along the way because there are so many different steps in recruitment. And let's yeah. face it, we're dealing with people on both sides of the equation. So, um, you know, things things can go awry at any point in time. But I think if you're kind to yourself and you're kind to others um, and, and celebrate those small wins along the way, learn from any, you know, things that aren't going according to plan, it's always going to put you up for, for better success in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so I suppose your first contact with someone, right, in the recruitment process would often be, um, and this would probably even be your first impression of them, it starts to form the second you review their CV, right? So you've got a position that you need to fill, you get a CV, um, and, and that's your first kind of, you know, skeleton of what this person is like. So tell me, how do you recognise confidence in a resume? And do you have any tips on how women can reflect their confidence within their CV so that they can make that most impactful first impression? Yeah, I, I love that question, Anastasia, because, you know, let's face it, it's probably a, a really sad indictment on our industry because sometimes, you know, the CV is the first introduction you have to a candidate. Yeah. Um, and, and the reality there is that sometimes a CV is going to get a 20-second glance at best from a recruiter. So, you know, I'm picturing or, or trying to create the picture of the worst-case scenario where you've yeah. got somebody who's, you know, racing out the door to catch the bus to get home. It's pouring with rain. They've just, you know, had 52 CVs come through and they've got to, you know, go through them all and identify who the ones are that they want to bring in for interview over the next few days. Yeah. And it literally be 15, 20-second glance at best. That so how somebody do we make that count? 
Yeah, look, it's it's a tough one. Um, it's uh, it, it's also, I guess, you know, just what I was saying around being a really bad indictment on or a sad reality of the industry. It's also a really sad reality that you know, if your CV um, is only getting a twenty second glance and someone is really sizing up, uh, not only your skills and experience, but to your point, your confidence. Yeah. Um, really short space of time so um for me portraying cv you know confidence in a cv it's 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 a whole raft of things but if i was to boil it down the number one thing is keeping it factual there's a lot to be said for someone that tells it like it is you know not hiding the fact they've taken time out to raise a family go traveling or quit a job that they that they thought you know was going to lead to something but actually didn't turn out as as they'd expected um i think confidence also comes out when um, when people um, can talk really clearly and concisely about the results they've delivered. Um, so not the royal we, which, you know, we tend to do as females. We, we never sort yes. of claim faults or um, the successes as, as our own. Oh, no, um, we claim our faults as our own. We do. <laughs> we just um, socialise our successes, that's all. Yeah, um, I'm always a, a you know a real advocate for people you know talking proudly in their CV about the results that they, they've been, you know, involved in or contributed to. Yeah. Um, and um, also using confident language, you know, things like um, strengthened, grew, contributed to, successful. I think some of the language in a CV comes out or will resonate with the reader um, when it's, you know, presented authentically and, and, and you know, confidently throughout the, throughout the you know, the, the content. Yeah. Um, I think for anyone putting a CV together, my, my advice would be to keep it simple, keep it factual and make it easy for your, for your reader to glean all of the important details about your background. So, so going back, formatting. Yeah, the format is really important. Yeah. So if you're writing your CV with the, the idea in your head that you've got, you know, 10 to 20 seconds at best, how do you capture someone's attention and stand out from perhaps, you know, a whole heap of other people that have expressed interest in a role? Yeah. Um, that first page really should be the, the killer information that someone wants to, to get about you at a, at a really short um, first glance. So things like, you know, your contact details. Sometimes you'll get a CV come through and you're making it really difficult by not putting your contact details at the front of the of the CV. Yeah. I like to see a brief statement around, you know, um, what, what you're looking for in terms of your career goals or um, to highlight some of the skills that you bring. Um, and then most crucially at the bottom of the first page, just yep. a really table um, that's got um, information around the company that you've worked for, the position that you've held and the dates that you've worked in those companies. That way you've got all of the businesses that you've worked for bolstering your brand um, and that will either be enough reason for someone to go, gee, that background, that person sounds really interesting, their background looks really intriguing for the role I'm recruiting for, let me give them a call or gee, that sounds interesting, let me turn the page to to find out more. So So all that that, that work that we do to kind of fill in all our, you know, our role and our job description and our duties and our responsibilities and we start detailing it from page one, scrap it. Page two, do that from page two. Love the first it. just be that executive summary. People want to know what you want to do, where you've done it, what you bring to the table and how can I contact you. I love um, that. And I love what you said earlier about being authentic. If you've <laughs> taken time off to have kids or to take a break or – just put it in your CV because we tend to hide that stuff. We don't yeah. want people to know that we took a break to have kids because yeah. we feel like that puts us on the back foot, right, and and that yeah. um, we're out of the loop or we need to catch up somehow. Um, yeah. But I love that you're saying make sure you keep it in there. Yeah, keep, keep it in there. People like to know the full story of someone's, you know, career journey and life journey. Um, they don't want to have know. to guess about gaps, right? Yeah, exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head there. You know, if, if, you, if you leave a gap, it creates a question that needs to be answered. 
interested. And sometimes, you know, a time core recruiter might just go, you know what, oh, it's, I'll put that CV in the too hard basket. Let me get on to the other, you know, 60 candidates I've got to, you know, look through. Yeah. Um, and get back to you so make it easy for your reader by putting everything in there doesn't need to be war and peace um you know big fan of using bullet points and short sentences certainly not long paragraphs but just making it really simple and easy for someone to get an understanding around your background and your skills I love uh, that. so we want like a snapshot of you of your professional development on a page yeah exactly exactly Amazing. I love that. That is so valuable. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next step, right? So in today's corporate climate, obviously, we're relying more and more on virtual interactions, right? Thanks to COVID, um, many, many fewer uh, personal interviews. Nobody does that anymore. Everything's – and even before COVID, I noticed, like my mum went for a job a few years ago and all her interviewing was done via video. They'd ask her a question, she responded via video. Yeah. Um, so confidence indicators, like, you know, walking with purpose, you see someone walking into an interview in a power suit and they're walking with their shoulders back, head forward, they've got a firm handshake, all those sorts of things, they're becoming a little bit redundant, especially for many first time meetings. So what tips do you have to, you know, for alternative ways that women can project their confidence either via phone or on a live virtual session like a Zoom meeting mm-hmm. um, when trying to make a powerful and confident first impression? Yeah, look, it's a, a whole raft of new skills we've had to develop yeah. <laughs> and, and pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how the world's turned upside down literally overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a great question because, you know, we, we do need to build relationships and we do need to exude that confidence in a remote setting. And, and it's not easy. Um, and it's certainly not as easy as you might think it is. Um, you know, and, and by no means do I profess to have all the answers here, but but certainly some of the tips that, you know, I've given my candidates along the way and, and even my teams in terms of, you know, how do they create a meaningful virtual, you know, connection and interaction with candidates and clients that they're talking to. Yeah. Um, I'll probably sum it up as follows. Um, first of all, it might sound really simple, but it's the number one killer to the, the flow. Tell and me. Really I need to know what it is. Interview. It's technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it is playing nicely before you start the meeting, okay? Right. So don't uh, slide into your Zoom meeting 30 seconds before it's about mm-hmm. to start. Totally going to set you up for failure more times than not. Mm-hmm. So make sure you've got your technology playing how you need it to play um, because, like I said, it's the number one thing that can derail you and your confidence in a meeting. Um, it also just doesn't set the right tone at the beginning of the meeting so that, again, can just set the wrong, um, I guess, atmosphere that you're trying to create, albeit virtually. Yeah. Make sure you've got a quiet space. Um, consider the background. So consider what your audience are looking at uh, behind your uh, computer screen. Yeah. Uh, that it's certainly things like washing or, you know, dirty dishes in the sink um, <laughs> you know, or messy, you know, unmade bed. It's probably not the look that you're wanting to portray. So yeah. to have a think about what, the, what the, um, the viewer is saying, you know, behind you. It sounds like a bit um, of a no-brainer, doesn't it? But the reality is because we're all so time poor and we're so rushed – you might think beforehand, I'm going to get my hair done, my makeup will be done, but you don't know what's going to happen on the day, right? Right. Um, yeah. So all those things, all that setup that you thought, it's a bit like a birthing plan, really. Yeah, totally. You go, I'm going to have candles, I'm going to have music, and then you get to the day and you're like, just get it out. Yeah, um, and I think running into interviews, especially virtual inter- interviews, are very similar. We have plans about how we want it to look, but unless we're prepared, and I think that's the key, yeah, that's um, you right. may end up with dirty dishes in the sink behind mm-hmm. you or mm-hmm. you know, an unmade bed or your hair's a bit frazzled and – it's not the best impression to give, is it? No, sure isn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that, I guess, you know, leads me on to the next point. You know, dress and, and prepare as though it is a face-to-face meeting. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it shows that you place importance on that interaction and the time that the, that the person is giving to to spend with you. And um, you know, I think I think where people have become unstuck is that they've tried to create a, a divide or a different approach um, from virtual to face to face. And I think the easiest way for people to get comfortable with it and portray themselves in the best possible light is to almost not try and delineate. So if you can, you know, get dressed, get prepared as you would um, for a face to face. That will yeah. certainly put you in good stead. Um, you know, you talked earlier around the preparation. So, you know, making sure that, you know, your surroundings and your technology are playing nicely, yeah. um, but also prepare for some of the questions you're going to be asked. Um, you know, so you're not sort of on the, um, you know, t- talking on the hook during the meeting. Uh, make sure you talk clearly um, and ask lots of questions, um, you know, and have some structured answers answered prepared as well. So all of the things that you would normally do for a face-to-face interview. Yeah. Um, but the, probably what's even more important in the virtual world is the eye contact, you know, making sure that, um, you know, you, you're maintaining that eye, cat, eye contact and the engagement with your audience because that's really the only way that you can, um, you can portray that engagement um, as opposed to, like you were saying earlier, the firm hand shake or the you know the yeah. killer walk into the room and that's so tricky this, isn't it though because yeah. your instinct is to look at yourself on the screen but that's not where the camera is no, no. so I so, find that in a lot of virtual meetings where I think I'm looking at whoever I'm talking to but really I'm not to them it looks like I'm looking at the floor that's right um, so we need to be really mindful of that don't we yeah without doubt yeah, and I love I love what you said about yeah, pretend like it's a real meeting. I mean, we do that. You know, Jody does that all the time. If she's if we've got a business meeting, there's heels on under the desk, even though we're not going anywhere. Yeah, um, right. it's just that idea of what do I need to do to put myself in that mindset of this is what this is. It is an interview. It's not just me sitting at my dining table in my home. This is a proper right. interview. That's right. I'll never forget my uh, my youngest son um, had caught me a couple of times, you know, in the middle of lockdown during COVID last year where, yeah. you know, I, I hadn't actually done what I'm professing we should do. <laughs> and I jumped on on a team, you know, it was an impromptu team catch-up. I had no makeup on, looked like horrendous. And um, my son walked past. He said, oh, mum, that's probably the first time I haven't seen you with makeup on, you know, when you've had a, a work meeting. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, sweetheart, it's okay. It's my team. They know that, you know, I'm just I'm just keeping it real today. So, <laughs> but really? Uh, but, <laughs> You're like, but, I didn't have time. Yeah, keeping it real. Um, and then the first day that we ventured back in the office, you know, he caught me in the bathroom, you know, doing my hair and getting my makeup on. And he said, oh, mummy, you're not keeping it real today because you're putting your makeup on and, you know, because you're seeing your team for the first time face to face. And I said, well, no, I'm going into the office, sweetheart. You know, I've got to put my makeup on. Yeah. He said, but mum, three weeks ago you were happy to, to jump on a Zoom with them looking like absolute crap. So, so what's the difference? Don't you hate <laughs> it when your kids call you on your behaviour? I hate yeah. that. I hate that. I it's like, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. Um, but but he nailed it, didn't he? Like he got it totally. <laughs> exactly right. If you want to be in that headspace, you need to act the part and you need to look the part. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Right, so we often have, we often work with women who are trying to get back into the workforce, right? So we're talking about there are women who um, are in the workforce and they're going for interviews to progress their career, but we're also often dealing with women who are trying to get back into the workforce. So that gap that we are talking about earlier where they've stopped to have kids for a few years back to back and then, you know, two, three, five, ten years later they've gone, it's time to get back into work. Now, unfortunately, you know, often these women are dealing with major confidence issues because they've been out of the loop for so long they feel like the corporate world has just you know it's outrun them yeah Um, yeah. and many of them are struggling with their confidence levels because that feeling of being out of the loop it it creates that 
you know, uncertainty and insecurity and it's really hard to get back into that that um, corporate setting when you're not feeling sure about yourself. Yeah. So what advice can you offer to women who are feeling this way but who really – they're honestly, truly ready to get back into the workforce? Yeah, look, it's, it is tough. Um, there's no two ways about it. And I think, you know, it, it's tough for anyone, male or female, um, you know, when they find themselves in this situation. Um, and, again, there's probably no one single piece of advice I can give, but, um, you know, that that's going to work every time. But but I would say probably a combination of, of some of the, the things I'd like to just cover off um, now will, will hopefully help. Yeah. Um, so where would I start? probably firstly starting to think about what what do you actually love doing and, and what are you good at? So I think some of the, the challenges women find getting back into the workforce is that they're sometimes not focused on the things that are actually going to make them happy. And if you're not happy, then you're not going to be, the confidence isn't going to be there and you're not going to give 150% to actually, you know, achieving that outcome. Yeah. So again, it might sound, might sound simple or trivial, but it's an important part of the process in terms of trying to understand what it is you're trying to get back into or jump into if it's something new. Yeah, I can understand that because often I think when we're in that position, I remember being in that position um, when it was time to go back to work. It wasn't so much a I need to get back into work because I want to follow my passion. It was I need to go and make some money again because we went mm. from a two-income household with two people to yeah. a one-income household with now four people. Yeah. Um, so my my primary driver was I need to get back there and make some money. And, and yeah. what I wanted to do and what my passion was, it was just pushed to the side. Yeah. So I can understand that um, – yeah, finding what you love to do and then coupling that with I also need to make money. Yes. Will probably yeah. a lot be a lot more successful than just I need a job. Yeah, exactly. And look, yeah. you know, it's the age old, you know, quote that we hear time and time again, the money will come. Yeah. Um, I think it's just somehow giving yourself some of the the headspace and the bandwidth to to really believe in that because it's so true. Um, you know, and certainly talking from personal experience, you know, going from, you know, a head of marketing role in, you know, one of the largest financial services organisations to to coming home and thinking, oh, gosh, we could be, you know, baked beans on toast for the next 12 months yeah. while I'm reading myself as a recruiter. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying it's going to happen every time, but trying, if you can, to have that support or, you know, have the savings to just give you a little bit of breathing space to, to really be able to, you know, follow your passion or follow yeah. something that's more aligned to your passion um, and then the money will come. Yeah. And also I think giving ourselves permission to do that, right? Because yeah. we've just spent so long, I mean, you know, it's different for all these different women, but for many of us, we've spent so long catering to the needs of other people of little mm -hmm. humans we push ourselves to the side we're, we're constantly just doing what everyone you know we're yeah. giving what everyone needs from us and then yeah. when we're ready to get back into the workforce sometimes we can fall into the trap of continuing that of, yeah you know, not giving ourselves permission to finally do what we want it's just a case of what does my family need from me now they need money right I need to go get a job yeah exactly. and I think we need to shift that that headspace a little bit and just go but I also need to be happy because I'm the best version of me for my family when I'm happy, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, some of the other advice, uh, let me think, um, probably surrounding yourself with people that are going to give you the sound advice yeah. um, and maybe act as a mentor along the way, um, you know, having the courage to, to reach out to people in your network because uh, your network is going to have a network that they can introduce you to. Um, if you don't have a network, you know, maybe attending some actual or virtual networking events just so that you can start to, um, you know, build your your knowledge bank of, of who, who is out in the area that you're looking to, to secure a job in. Yeah. Um, and and surround yourself with people playing the same game as you, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Really, really critical. 
yeah. and then get active on LinkedIn and, and, you know, building your community and your brand is really important in the, you know, social media world. Um, of course, reaching out to, to a couple of recruiters that are in your area of, of, of specialisation or where you're looking to, to secure your role, yeah. um, you know, and they can absolutely help you, you know, secure secure a job. And if they can't help you secure a job, they can surely help you with some interview tips, um, some help with your resume um, or just, you know, some coaching, coaching techniques along the way. Um, I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination you need to go register with every agency in Sydney um, or, you know, where you're located. Maybe jump speak or LinkedIn and, and have a look at, you know, which agencies are recruiting roles that are similar to what you're looking for and make yourself known to them so that so they can do your yeah. research. Yeah, do your yeah. research. And be intentional. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um the other the other advice I'd give is probably probably around actually if you get a chance to go for an interview, go for the interview. Um, you know, if if someone has invited you in to have a conversation don't think twice about it. You know, it's a great way to get a really good feel for what is out there in the market, especially if you've been out of the market for a little while. Um, and it's a great way for you to get some practical um, ways to brush up on your interview tips. Yeah. So meet, have conversations, go for interviews because interviewing is an art in itself. Absolutely. Um, I've interviewed a number of candidates who've been really great at interview but actually really crap at the job that they've professed to do. So and they've advice- mastered the art of interviewing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Really, that, that is all that you can glean from interviewing someone is whether mm. they're good at you. It's reference checking and all the other things that we do as part of the process to actually, um, you know, validate and verify what it is that we're hearing in interview. Yeah. So there is an art form to it and the, and it takes practice. So go for any interview that you're invited to. Yeah. I, I remember a, um, there was a conversation that Jody and I recently had because we'd been speaking to someone um, and they were trying to interview for a new position. They were looking – they were actually doing this. They were trying to get back into the workforce. And mm. we're just getting really um, dejected by, you know, repeated rejection letters and they'd go to an interview and they'd perform at the interview and then they'd go, sorry, this is not for you. And then there was this session that she had with them around reframing the way they thought about the interviews. We often feel like we go to an interview and we're being judged, right? I'm putting myself out there to you and as a recruiter or as a potential employer, you are looking at my credentials and you're deciding whether I'm the right fit for your workplace. Um, But it also works the other way, doesn't it? Like it's up to us as potential employees to also ask the relevant questions because I need to find out if I am the right fit, if you are the right fit for me, right? Yeah. So I never thought about it this way until we had this conversation recently that an interview is actually a two-way conversation. It's not just them analysing your skills and your abilities. It's a perfect opportunity for you to turn around and go, is this where I want to work? Because there's this expectation that you go for an interview and you should get the job and if you don't get the job, you should be upset. When really they might go, yes, we'd love you and you should go, you could say, based on this interview, this is not where I want to be. Exactly right. And and the, the due diligence and the homework you do before the process yeah. uh, rather than after the process, you just don't you don't want to have any surprises or set yourself up for, you know, something that wasn't, you know, aligned to what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I bet you see that all the time where people get a time. job and then a month or two in they just go, This is not what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It is a two-way process, and and you know employers will appreciate you doing due diligence and you know assessing if the role and the company are the right fit for you, yeah. uh, because you know it, it's got to, it's got to work both sides. You know the amount that businesses lose from candidates starting and you know not lasting probation periods or leaving, uh, you know within twelve months. Uh, I mean it's just it's overwhelming from a revenue perspective, from an yeah. intellectual 
perspective and also from a candidate's perspective you know you, you don't want to be chopping and changing jobs just because you you know you haven't done the, the, the due diligence and, and being thorough going into uh, into the process in the first place yeah absolutely and I think that would it would take a hit on the confidence of both the candidate and the person you know interviewing for the job because as an employer eventually you'd start to kind of second guess yourself and go what are we doing wrong yeah, we're exactly. putting ourselves out there. We're pulling these candidates in. Why can't we find the right fit for our yeah. workplace? So it almost becomes like a social confidence issue. Yeah, where yeah, we're on different yeah. wavelengths. We know what we want. We know there's someone out there for us. We can't find them. Yeah. And and you know the reality is that you know um, the number one issue that is keeping every CEO awake at night is retention. Retention yeah. and their staff. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that's being done right now to, to make sure that hiring managers know how to interview properly um, and how to prepare, present their businesses in the most authentic and uh, compelling way to candidates um, because, you know, they will be judged on their ability to hire, well, attract, hire and then retain their people. So, yeah. um, we, we can't we can't make light of the fact that it is a is a two way process, and you know everybody needs to take responsibility for for the you know the induction and the hiring, um, and then the onboarding and um, you know retention piece as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we know um, so there are studies that have indicated right that women tend to undersell themselves, and we know this right as women we know this we kind of downplay our skills and our strengths um, because we don't want to sound like we're bragging. Um, mm-hmm. But then men sometimes are more likely to progress in the workplace or even go for a promotion, um, even if they don't meet 100% of the requirements. So there was a, I think it was a Harvard review, um, could be something else that Jodie and I looked into recently, that said that women will only go for a job when they meet 100% of the requirements, a promotion, whereas men will go at about 60 and they'll just decide to wing the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think confidence plays a really big part in that because they have that belief in themselves often, not all men and not all women, but it is, you know, it's statistically, it's from a study that says that men have that ability to back themselves a little more. They have that belief in themselves that I know 60% of what this job entails. Okay, I can figure out the rest. I'm confident yeah. in myself that I can figure out the rest. Whereas we have this underlying um, sense of, I don't know if it's lower self-worth. I don't know if it's because we've been out of the workplace or because we feel like we need to accommodate for our priorities that we, you know, undercut ourselves a little. Um, But do you have any insights into how women can deal with this from a confidence perspective or rather maybe what are organisations looking for when it comes to confidence? What are the triggers that they're looking for? Yeah, look, I think that there are so many studies out there that unfortunately talk to that very point. Um, You know, the reality is self-promotion, it it is an essential tool for career development. And, you know, God love it, males seem to have nailed it a lot more than than females. Um, Well, certainly up up to now anyway. Um, But it's also, you know, not everyone feels equally comfortable promoting what they've done or um, I think I, I read some stats a little while ago. I think it also was a Harvard review, Harvard Business Review study, where um, they were saying that women consistently rated their performance on a test lower than men did, um, even though both groups had actually um, scored the same average score on the test. Yeah. Um, men, on average, gave themselves, I think it was 61 out of 100, and women had given themselves 46 out of 100, yet actually the results came back on par that men and women had both actually performed at the same level. That's amazing, uh, isn't it? Yeah. So it's 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 quite frightening, the, the disparity there, and then obviously how that impacts gender gap in promotions and pay downline. Yeah. 
I, I wish I had the, you know, the, the one-size-fits-all answer to this, but, but sadly I think it comes down to a couple of things. First of all, you know, it's a debate we still need to have. You know, both men and women need to recognise the importance and impact that self-promotion can or, 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 or can't have on someone's career progression. Yeah. Um, it's about making sure that those conversations are had um, and, importantly, that women are supported in acknowledging their achievements. So if they're not someone that's comfortable to shout from the rooftops around, you know, I've achieved this or I've achieved that, um, making sure that, you know, that, that they're not taken for granted and that they've got leaders around them that are going to help promote the work that they have done and the, and the results that they've delivered. Um, I think one of the practical tips for women, um, you know, perhaps looking at a, a, you know, a career opportunity, a promotion, a position description for a new job and going, oh, crap, I don't tick every single box on there. Yeah. Well, reality is employee, employers aren't necessarily looking for someone to tick all those boxes because oh. if you tick all those boxes. That's interesting. The, we didn't know that. <laughs> uh, the flip side and the argument to it is that if you've ticked every single box, a, a hire, uh, you know, a hiring manager can look at it to sort of say, well, what growth, what development, how motivated and stimulated is that person going to be in the role and are they going to be a flight risk in six or 12 months' time? Yes, I never so, thought about it that way. So I think it's actually um, just trying to flip that, again, that internal dialogue that creeps in to actually go, you know what, I can only do or I only, can only talk confidently around 60 to 70% of the things that are required in this role. Yeah. But, gee, I know what I would do to tackle, you know, point number seven on the job description and, and this is how I would approach this particular part of the role. And if you can talk confidently around what your approach would be, well, first of all, own it and say, look, you know, in all, it will, in, with all due respect, you know, it's not an area of expertise that I've had, you know, the opportunity to develop you know, in my last couple of roles. Yeah. But if that was part of the requirement in this role, this is how I would go about, A, getting up to getting up to speed in terms of the knowledge I need for that particular piece. And this is what I would do to tackle that problem. So and it's about well, selling your um, your ability to grow as opposed to selling your current skills, exactly. right? Yeah, it's about de it's demonstrating your critical thinking and problem-solving skills yeah. as opposed to ticking the box on something that you've done before and that actually put you in far greater stead than being able to tick the box in the first place. So yeah. I think it's, again, just trying to change the the dialogue around that um, and it's not to sugarcoat the fact that, you know, inherently we know women aren't as, you know, great as, as men in terms of that self-promotion um, but also on the flip side, you know, females know that men are great at, you know, self-promotion and, and perhaps, you know, um, over-embellishing a little bit on, on what they can and can't do. So there's always sometimes an element of scepticism when a male uh, professors have done something or can do something. So you go, do you really know how to do that? Do you really speak Swahili? <laughs> That's right. But the whole the whole debate and dialogue, you know, you can look at it from so many different angles. But yeah. I guess just to summarise, you know, we, we need to be true to ourselves. We need to develop our skills and our confidence. Um, but if you can show your critical thinking skills and how you would approach a problem, mm -hmm. um, I think that will give women a confidence um, in itself to be able to go, you know what, I I'm good for this job, I'm good for that promotion, I'm good for that pay rise and, and I'm going to give it my all. Absolutely. And I think that's so reassuring because honestly, when I have ever looked at a jobs description, I've always tried to match what I know and what I can do to all of the dot points in the job description and I've never once thought – if I can tick all their boxes, they may not want me because then I'm overqualified. Yeah, yeah. And I can see that now. That's, that's really <laughs> valuable. Thank you for that.
So tell me, have you come across any repeated themes or requests as a recruiter that you recognise as being directly related to confidence? Yeah, look, I think, you know, in my experience, um, there's a number of things organisations are looking for that kind of fall into the category of um, of confidence um, and I guess which go a long way in portraying someone's confidence. Um, and, I, and I've mentioned a couple of them before, but, um, you know, they're important. So, you know, being authentic, um, being able to bounce back from setbacks or showing that resilience and being able to give specific examples around, you know, what the challenge was that they faced, um, what they did overcome it, um, you know, and what the outcome was. Um, Being able to give and receive feedback, um, I think, shows courage and confidence at the same time. I think you can portray your confidence um, with good listening and communication skills, and that's certainly, you know, one of the top things that, uh, you know, hiring managers are looking to, to, you know, develop across their organisations. Things around empathy, passion, curiosity, self-reflection, all of those all of those soft skills, um, and certainly not one in isolation, go a long way um, in portraying confidence. And it's funny you know, should say that because we often try to keep those soft skills out of our resumes, don't we? We don't no, want to tell people that we're empathetic or that we're understanding. or you know, We feel like that's a bit weak for a resume. We feel like we need to boost it up with all these really strong masculine terms. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that you should say, yeah, and I guess that all comes down to, like you said, authenticity. If you're, yes. if you're going to be authentic about what you're capable of doing, then things like empathy and resilience will come into that. Exactly. And, and look, let's face it, you know, the CV gets you the interview. You get, you get the job from the interview. Yeah. So, you know, your CV might talk more around, you know, the nuts and bolts around the skills and experience that you bring, but certainly the way you portray yourself at interview and, of course, once you're in the role because um, it doesn't just stop from, you know, the minute you get the offer and, and decide to, to go for that position. Yeah. Um, Playing that confidence when you're in the role does come down to the softer skills. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say it's probably a combination um, of, of all of those things that, you know, organisations are, are looking to um, to see in people, um, you know, and, and how they portray confidence. I love that. Okay. So based on everything that you've just told me and in like a couple of words each, can you give me your five hot tips for our listeners on how to nail their next interview? What would, if you had like 20 words to say it in and you had to give them five quick tips, I know I'm asking you to put 25 years worth of experience into a sentence, Uh, (laughs) five quick tips, you've got 20 seconds to tell someone what they can do to make a really, really good impression on an interview, go. Plan and prepare. Mm -hmm. Prepare to talk about you. So there'll be questions you'll be asked at interview. Make sure that you've got some, you know, examples you can bring to those questions. Um, Be authentic. Ask lots of questions and be curious at your interview yeah. and then make sure that you follow up. Um, and lastly, it's probably number six, yeah. um, but remember that your interviewer is also human, so try and build some connection with them during your engagement. Amazing. That's fantastic. I've had so many insights during this conversation because there are things that I thought I knew about interviews that have just been flipped on their head for me, things that, you know, and things that I thought I knew about CVs and what uh, an organisation wants, you know, to see on a CV or to hear in an interview – And I love that you have just humanized them a little for me because we always feel like we need to kind of build ourselves up to become this superhero in order to get this job when the reality is they just want to see a human, right? Human, exactly, exactly. Wonderful. Okay, guess what it's time for? It's time for our Rise Women final power questions. There are (laughs) one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Short, sharp answers, just like your five hot tips. Um, Yeah. Are you ready? All right, bring it on. Okay, let's do it. What do you wish every woman knew? 
Uh, gosh, what's at the top of my head? Um, you can do it, so don't doubt it. Perfect. I, I think that I'm going to turn that into a quote and put it on our socials with your face <laughs> next to it. <laughs> what is your superpower? Um, I've got two, my kids. Ah, oh, I love it. They strengthen you, yeah? Yeah, they do. They Wonderful. Do. Heels or flats? Heels all the way, baby. Oh, thank God, Michelle. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to hear. We're big heels girls. I even have flats like sneakers with heels in them. Yep. <laughs> that's how I wear sneakers. Uh, your favourite quote or rule you live by? Uh, look, I can't, can't go past Oscar Wilde. Um, it's got a great quote. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Yes, I do love that one. I've heard that many times. It's a good one. And, and yeah. it just brings it home really easily, doesn't yeah. it? That, oh, yeah, yeah, I am unique and I can't hide from it. Exactly. That's right. Uh, tell me, who inspires you and why? Uh, it's got to be my dad. Um, I think for me he's the epitome of anyone that's, you know, dealt with some pretty big challenges along the way on many occasions um, and always manages to put a smile on his face and um, find time for his family. Beautiful. And I'm sure he's kind of set the benchmark for you as to what yeah. you know, family looks like and – very much so. Wonderful. Okay, finish this sentence. If I had even more confidence than I do now, I would? <laughs> uh, what would I do? I'd, um, I'd bottle it up and sprinkle it on those around me. Oh, that's nice. Some people go, <laughs> I want to be on Broadway. I want to do this. <laughs> and you're willing to share it. That's really good. I wonder if we could make money off that bottled confidence. Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine? We'd have lines down the street. Fantastic. Michelle, thank you so much again for allowing us to pick your brain for the Secrets of Confident Women podcast. We know our listeners will get so much value from what you've shared with us today and we really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. And, uh, yeah, just hope that it's uh, helping helping women out there to build their confidence and, uh, and nail their next dream job. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us today. Please remember to share this with as many women as you can, because we know that the insights we shared on this topic today can pretty much help everyone at some point or another in their life. And don't forget, you can head over to risewomen.com for a range of different ways that Jodie and I can help you make confidence your new normal. So until next time, take care and remember with confidence, anything is possible. Bye for now.